Blog Talk Radio. Transformation Station, and this is Every Man Standing in His Place with Minister Kevin Park. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Every Man Standing in His Place for this Friday, December the 9th, 2016. Now, without further ado, please receive your host and the mighty speaker of the hour, Minister Kevin Park. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good evening, everyone. Good evening and blessings to all. Um, Before we begin, I'd like to 
uh, encourage you, I guess this has become my mantra, to get something to write with and to write on uh, simply because of, I will be throwing out some different scriptures. And a lot of times there isn't time to really dive into and explain um, those particular scriptures. But when you get the opportunity, hopefully uh, either later on today or sometime this week, is to um, go over the scriptures that will be introduced to you this evening so that you can go and read it for yourself. Because I always say, don't believe what I say, but believe what the Bible says. I want you to see it for yourself in black and white. So if you don't have something to write with and to write on, take a few minutes um, and, and gather something to write with and, and to write on. So let us go right into it. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, my Father, as we gather here this evening, my Father, across the airways, my Father, touching and agreeing through the airways, my Father. Lord, my Father, we just ask you to just touch each and every person that is on this airways this evening, my Father. Lord, my Father, we ask that you just minister to them, minister to their hearts, my Father. Let the words permeate through their minds, my Father, down to their hearts, my Father. Lord, my Father, let the listener be able to open their mind that they will be able to understand and comprehend you, my Father. Let them be able to hear you, my Father. Unstop their ears that they may hear, my Father. Lord, take the place out their eyes that they may see, my Father. Lord, my Father, when they speak, speak for them. Oh, dear Lord, my Father, touch their hearts, my Father, that they have a heart of flesh that will feel, my Father, and Feel you, my Father, the glory of you, my Father. Lord, my Father, let not their hearts ever be callous, my Father. Lord, my Father, plant their feet on solid ground in your name, my Father, that they may be planted firmly and stand firmly in your name. Lord, my Father, we just ask that you just touch each and every one that is listening to the sound of my voice, my Father. I ask that you let the me decrease and the you increase, my Father. Come, Holy Spirit, fall fresh on me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now, last session we came out of Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter, the fourteenth verse. I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, seventh chapter, fourteenth verse. Second Chronicles, seventh chapter, fourteenth verse. And it reads thusly: If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the last session that we had, we broke this down into eight different categories that we want to look at as far as this one particular scripture, Second Chronicles 7.14. And we want to break it down thusly. The first part is just who are the people who are called by God's name? 
Who are these people? The second one is, what does it actually mean to humble oneself? What is it? The third aspect is, how are we to pray? Just how are we to pray? The fourth part is, where can I seek his face? Where can I seek the face of God? The fifth part was turning from wicked ways. The sixth part was, how will I hear from heaven? The seventh part was the forgiving, the forgiving of sins. And the last part was healing of the land. So we broke that scripture down into eight different points. And we want to take our time with these eight different points because I, 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 I think that it's important for everyone to understand this particular scripture. So what we did is we started with the first point with the last session, and we didn't quite finish it. So we're going to finish up on that this evening and move to the second point and see how far we go. Because what I've discovered that this is just not one setting. Because it is so much information and material that needs to be disseminated and given out to you that we really need to take our time to understand this. So once again, if you don't have something to write with and to write on, please get that. Please get that. You will need that. Now, what we discovered last time, and we used the scripture of Deuteronomy 28. Um, oh, before I go to Deuteronomy 28, go back to Exodus 4.22, because that's, that's the premise of, of, of all of this. And I'm going to use Scripture to define Scripture or to understand Scripture, particularly um, Second Chronicles 7.14. So if you look at Exodus 4.22, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my people go that they may serve me. So that's basically it. In a nutshell, it tells you who God is talking to. He's talking to the Israelites when God says, if my people who are called by my name, He's actually talking to, or specifically talking to, the Israelites. Not the Egyptians, not the Canaanites, not the Assyrians, not the Babylonians, but the Israelites. And if you remember from the last session, we, um, I also told you that <clears throat> the Israelites were made up of 12 different kingdoms or 12 different nations, if you will. Actually, 13, but there's only 12 territorial areas. The 13th is that of the Levi priest that serviced all of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. 
Now, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, you have a northern kingdom, which consisted of 10 tribes that we call Israel. And you've got the southern tribe, which consists of two tribes, um, Benjamin and Jacob, which is known as the southern kingdom. So you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, but together they make up the Israelites. So in that scripture, Exodus 4.22, God is saying the Israelites are his children, his chosen people. And our main scripture, Second Chronicles, is my people. That's who he's speaking to. And in so doing, we also spent a lot of time in Deuteronomy 28, basically the entire chapter. And I'm not going to go through that today. Um, you can either go back and listen to the first session or you can read it on your own. But, however, what we have discovered was the aspect that, or the question, who are the Israelites today? Where are they? Are they over in Israel? Where are they? But what we discovered was that the Israelites of today are actually the black people in America. All of the black people that came through the transatlantic slave trade are the Israelites. You have the Israelites' heritage in you, whether you believe it or not. So that's what we discovered the last session. So I want to pick it up from there. Because one thing we must look at in order to identify who God's chosen people are today and what group of people follow his description based on Deuteronomy 28, we can also look at Revelations 2.9. Because a few minutes ago I asked you, the people that are in Israel, are they the Israelites? Revelation 2.9 says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. God's people can certainly be identified by all the curses also found in Leviticus 24, verses 14 through 48. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spun my statues, and if your soul hoards my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain. For your enemies shall eat it. I 
and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again seven folds of your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make you heavens, make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. Here we're talking about slavery, being shipped from Africa in caves. Iron bars overhead and iron bars underneath. Now also last session I talked about how the 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 curses that the black people are are, are, are under just seems to be more so than any other race or any other ethnic group or any other culture on this planet. And here God says that he will make our curses, he will discipline us seven times our sins. And I gave an example of, of um, last session of, um, of spirits from generation to uh, generation, evil spirits. How the, you know one generation it was maybe three spirits, and then two generations later it was seven spirits for the same exact sin. So I mean, this is just like a a parent. You as a parent would discipline your child much firmer than you would your your niece or nephew. This is the same thing God is doing to us because of the covenant that was broken with him or that we broke with him. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you are contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold your sins. And I will let loose the wild beast against you, which shall berate you and your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfolds of your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance of the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, Ten women shall bake you bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight. And you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you seven 
for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who sell in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you. And your land shall be desolation, and your city shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have no rest. The rest that it did not have on your service when you were dwelling in it, that is. And as for those of you who are left, I will send sickness into the heart in the lands of your enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to fight. And they shall flee as one flees from the sword. And they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another, as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemy's land because of their iniquity and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away. But if they confess their iniquities and the iniquity of their fathers, now that's an important line. I want to read that to you one more time. But if they confess their iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, I'm pointing that out because one of the aspects that we want to look at is prayer. So when we pray, what the Bible is saying is that we need to pray for forgiveness for not only ourselves, our iniquities, and our children's iniquities, but our forefathers as well. I did not make that up. It's right here in the Bible. So keep that in mind as we move on. But if they confess their iniquities and iniquities of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for the iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by and enjoy its savage while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for the iniquity. 
Because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes, yet for all that, when they are in the land of the enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. Now, so as a chosen people, we are held to a higher standard because you see how God will punish us sevenfold for the, 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 the sin that we would commit or have committed. It's seven times worse than anybody else. So we are held to a higher standard. We are under a covenant with God, and when we break it, we experience the wrath and consequences of that covenant. Now, he didn't make this covenant with the Edomites or the Egyptians or et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, other nations don't get spanked as hard as God's own people do. So, let's move on to migration. Just to show you that the black people in America are the chosen people of God, the true Israelites. Now, for centuries, Israelites have dealt in the African interior. Tribes of Israelite descendants, such as the Lima of Southern Africa and the Falasha of Ethiopia are a present-day testament to the vast ancient Israelite migrations into the African continent. Literature from the ancient Israelite community of the Elephantine located in southern Egypt has been recovered, providing proof of the thriving Israelite population. As the Israelite population in Cyrene, which is located in Libya, were also well-known and historically documented. Now, um, the historian uh, Philo in 40 B.C. or 40 C.E., 40 B.C. he lived to 40 C.E., um, who lived in Alexandria, Egypt, He stated that one million Hebrews resided in Libya and Egypt from the catacombs to the border of Ethiopia. 
Now, many of the Israelite communities located in the north and the east of Africa began to become less populated and others less populated and others disappeared altogether. Now, with the rise of Christianity in the 4th and 5th centuries and the rise of Islam in the 8th century caused the oppression slavery, and death of many non-converts. Now, the Israelites, if you know anything about the Israelites, they were a stiff-necked people, stubborn, hard-headed. The Israelites, who were well-known for non-compliance and defiance of forced religion, ideology, and culture, were forced to migrate in an effort to avoid the Christian and Islamic persecution. Now, the Arab Islamic invasion in the northeastern Africa planted the migration of the Israelites to flee to Central and West Africa. The ancestors of uh, African Americans came from West Africa during the era of slavery. That particular region of Africa was once home to a number of Israelite tribes that migrated from North and East Africa over many centuries. In North Africa, just before the period of Christianity, legal entry into the Rondon to Constantine the Great, um, conversion in the 4th century, there were many Hebrews or Jewish tribes that are of indigenous Africa, the so-called Negroes of origin. Now, these African Jews, as well as other Romanized Africans of this era, were caught in the rebellion of Serena during 115 CE against Roman imperialism and colonialism. This rebellion also marked the beginning of a mass Jewish migration southward into Sudan or West South Africa. Along the way of the city of Air and into the uh, countries of Futa, Jordan, and Senegal, which lie below the curve of the Niger River, most northern reaches where the city of Tumbatu and Mile presently stand. <clears throat> now, if you get the chance, and I really hope you do, sometimes man slips up. He tells a little too much or shows a little too much that he doesn't really want to be revealed. If you get the opportunity, I want you to Google the Negro Land map. Google the Negro Land map, and it will bring up the North Atlantic uh, slave trade. And you will see that the slaves from Africa were all taken from a one part or one port from West Africa from the country known as 
the kingdom of Judah. I kid you not. So there you have it. So the black people in America are actually descendants from the tribe of Judah. You know anybody else that came from the tribe of Judah? If you don't know, I'll tell you. His name is Jesus the Christ. So what's that tell you? You didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. However, bottom line of what I am trying to tell you, we have to understand who and what we are. When we are reading the Bible, this is our history. But we have been told to the contrary. These are our people. These are our ancestors. But we have been taught the opposite. We have been taught that we are Gentiles and not Jews. But the opposite is the reality. We are Jews and not the Gentiles. More specifically, the chosen people of God from the tribe of Judah. That's your history. That's where you come from. So the bottom line of what I'm trying to tell you is that who we are will determine how we act. And also interact with each other. Did you catch that? See, we didn't know who we were for all this time. And the Bible makes mention to that as well. So we acted in your kind of way because we didn't know who we are. We didn't think we had a past. We thought our past started some 400 years ago. That was it. But that's not the case at all. Our past has been hidden from us purposely. So who we are determines how we act and interact with others. So now let me give you an example of what I'm, I'm case in point. Moses, the Egyptian prince. He acted one way as an Egyptian prince because that's what he thought he was. And so he was smacked with the revelation that he was a Hebrew. So then he changed and he became Moses, the Hebrew leader. Look at Saul, the persecutor of the Hebrews, versus Paul, the disciple. David, the shepherd boy, versus David, the king, the Hebrew king, so forth and so on. So if we are the children of God, we should act like the children of God and not like the sons of disobedience whose ruler is Satan. 
it is time for us to wake up and realize just who we are and whose we are. We cannot move forward without knowing from where we come from. So how do we get from a hidden past to the path we need to be on now? How do we get there? We have to understand where we come from to know where we are going, and most importantly, why we are and how we're going to get there. How can we rewrite the shift to put us back on course, to follow the pathway we were meant to be on from the very beginning? So... That's who we are, if my people. That's who God is talking to. He's talking to us, the 12 tribes or nations of Israel. Now, I know specifically that all the blacks in America, or or not just America, but South America and um, um, the islands, they all came from the same place, the kingdom of Judah from southern West Africa. So we know that we are from the kingdom of Judah, but we are just one nation out of 12, or more specifically out of 13, because the Levites didn't have a territorial um, uh, land or or place. So that's who we are. That's who we are. And you should feel Take pride in that aspect and act like you are a child of God, that you are his chosen people. That's special. Out of all of the the people on the earth, you were chosen. Glory. Hallelujah. (laughs) Which brings us to our second point, humble. Just what is it and how? Do we humble humble ourselves? Now, the word humble actually means not proud or arrogant. Modest having a feeling of insignificance, inferiority, a lower condition, importance or dignity, meekness, patience or docile. Humility is the quality of being humble in a religious context. This can mean recognition of self in relation to God. Acceptance of one's defects and submission to divine grace as a member of a religion. Now, outside of the religious context, humility is defined as a self-restraint from excessive vanity and can possess moral and or ethical dimensions. Humility, in various interpretations, is widely seen as a virtue, often in contrast to Gnosticism, hubris, and other forms of pride. So how does one become humble for God or before God? To be humble is to recognize gratefully our dependence on the Lord 
So understand that we have constant need for his support. Humility is an acknowledgement that other talents and abilities are gifts from God. It is not a sign of weakness, timidity, or fear. It is an indication that we know where our true strength lies. We can be both humble and courageous at the same time. Jesus Christ is our greatest example of humility. During his mortal ministry, he always acknowledged that his strength came because of his dependence on his father. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. I seek not my own will, but the will of the father which hath sent me. And you can find that in John 5, 30. The Lord will strengthen us as we humble ourselves before him. James taught, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That's in James 4, 6, and 10. Now, humility has gotten a bad reputation for years. Many people now think it's, a, it's synonymous with low esteem. But Moses was a very humble man, more humble than any man on the face of the earth. And Numbers 12.3 points that out to us. Now, he certainly wasn't lacking in assertiveness. He stood up to Pharaoh, dealt with the rebellious Israelites, and spent 40 long years doing one of the toughest jobs in all of history. Moses is pretty clear evidence that God's definition of humility is different from what the world would have us to believe. Moses was absolutely certain that God was the all-powerful creator and ruler of the universe. Yet Moses also understood that his life, worthless as it might seem, was in some inexplicable way of infinite importance. Now, the paradox between being nothing and everything is the beginning of humility. Did you catch that? The paradox between being nothing and everything is the beginning of humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It says it in James 4.10 again. We hear the same idea echoed in the gospel. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And that's in Matthew twenty three twelve. God honors us when we are humbled, part 
because we open ourselves to his guidance. It is only then that he can show us what is right and teach us his way. And that's Psalms 25.9. Now, humility or humbleness in the Bible is the quality of being courteously respectful to others. It is the opposite of aggressiveness, arrogance, boastfulness, and vanity. Rather, me first, humility allows us to say, no, you first, my friend. Humility is the quality that lets us go more than halfway to meet the needs and demands of others while we put ourselves last. Now, friendships and marriages are dissolved over angry words. Resentments divide families and coworkers. Prejudice separates race from race and religion from religion. Reputations are destroyed by malicious gossip. Greed puts enmity between rich and poor. Wars are fought over arrogant assertions. Humility is a virtue, is a major theme of both the Old and New Testaments. Why do qualities such as courtesy, patience, and difference have such a prominent place in the Bible? Is it because their demand of humility is exactly what is needed to live in peace and harmony with other persons? Humility dissipates anger and heals old wounds. Humility allows us to see the dignity and worth of all God's people. Humility distinguishes the wise leader from the arrogant power seeker. We affirm the inherent worth of all persons. Now, some would consider humility to be a a psychological undesirable disorder or condition that interferes with success. However, wealth, power, or status gained at the expense of others brings only anxiety, never peace and love. See, it's better a patient man than a worrier, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And you can find that in Proverbs 16.32. We should maintain an attitude of difference towards both God and other persons. Wisdom cannot be found or practiced through arrogance or anger. As servants of God, we must respect all of God's creation, including our fellow human beings. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them. But the falseness of the treacherous will destroy them. And that's Proverbs 11, 2, 3. Well, 2 and 3. Humility means 
putting God and other persons ahead of our own selfish interests. Humility comes with the knowledge that God's creation as a whole transcends our own narrow interests. As with other aspects of wisdom, humility will gain us much more than we sacrifice. Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Proverbs 22:4. By humility, we acknowledge that God created us for his purpose and not for our self-glorification. By humility, we acknowledge the dignity of all God's people. By humility, we cool the angry passions of others. By humility, we can turn enemies into friends. A humble demeanor is not a denial of our worth as individuals. Rather, it is the tool that allows us in so in insofar as possible, to be on good terms with all persons. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty nine. To be like Christ, we must follow his example of humility. So how can we learn to walk humbly with God? I have six points that I want to give you that perhaps you can practice and begin to walk humble with God. So I recommend you write these points down. Point number one is remember Who's in charge? Praise him. Remember who's in charge and pray him. Now, it's hard to keep things in perspective if we don't remember who is Lord. And that's Psalm 90. It's a good place to start. Well, Psalm 90 is a good place to start. But the first point again, remember who's in charge and praise him. The second point is to pray for a humble heart. Pray for a humble heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the ways in which pride gets in the way of your relationships. Pray for a humble heart. The third point is to pay more attention to your own faults than the faults of others. Pay more attention to your own faults than the flaws of others. That's hard to do for a lot of people. Pay more attention to your own faults rather than the flaws of others. Confess your failings. Be obsessed. Move on with it. Pay more attention to your own faults rather than the flaws of others. The fourth point is don't hide behind your dignity because that's pride's favorite hiding place. Don't hide behind your dignity. 
That's pride's favorite hiding place. Your real value lies in God's eyes, not in the eyes of the world. Remember, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So don't hide behind your own dignity. That's pride's favorite hiding place. Don't do it. The fifth point is, try not to watch yourself worship. Try not to watch yourself worship. Give all your heart and mind to God. You worship and don't care what the people think or the people think you look like. You go on and get your praise on. You worship. Heart, mind, body, and soul. Try not to watch yourself worship. Don't care. Don't care what people think. And the last point is to serve others. The fastest way to humility is the way Christ chose. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So serve others. And that's in Mark 10, 45. Now, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for us. He is mighty. He calls us to humble ourselves under him. Not because he is a controlling God that wants to bow that wants us to bow down to him because we are nothing but rather because he wants to exalt us and care for us as we humble ourselves. That is when we truly begin to worship him. We have to humble ourselves. We trust him with what's going on in our lives and believing he is a provider instead of ourselves. In so many of our lives today, we have become so tired in trying to make, trying to make it in life. We have become so busy with our lives that we're actually weary. We're taking on a lot of responsibilities. We're working hard for our families. We're trying to attend as many social events as possible. We're trying to pay the bills as best we can. We're just trying to get by. But Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Jesus doesn't seem to be talking about a life that is full of uh, anxieties and weariness as we follow him. He makes a point to state the exact opposite of how we can find rest in him. He is speaking to those that labor and are heavy laden. 
Now, I can't speak for you personally, but, but I, I know for a fact that we are all suffering from this. We are working way too hard. We are thinking way too much mentally. We are putting things on our shoulders that just don't belong there. And we are forgetting what Jesus said and what he had done when we feel it's all on us to get things to happen. Most of the time, we're probably putting so much effort into the wrong things altogether. In today's culture, we're told if you labor and are heavy laden, then you are doing the right thing. You are sacrificing for your family and friends. You are pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and working hard to hopefully one day achieve paradise retirement. When you get to do nothing as you live out the rest of your days. This is wrong. Don't let culture tell you that putting everything on your shoulders is wisdom. Trust Jesus when he tells you that his burden is light. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Most of the time when we don't humble ourselves, we are really saying we don't trust God. There are times as a follower of Christ when we forget God's character or doubt him. We're told in scripture to think on the things of God, to meditate on anything worthy of praise. These things are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, or excellent, are all praiseworthy because God is all these things. Most of all, when God gave his only son for us, John 3.16, it tells a lot about his character. Now, that show doesn't seem to come across to me like God is a tyrant and just demands power all the time. It doesn't seem to match up to a God that doesn't care about us. He knew that we would could only come to him through his son, who had to suffer and die before rising again. With that perfect knowledge that only God can have, he followed through and sacrificed his son for us. Not only does that tell us everything we need to know about God's character, that shows us just how much he loves us. Look at the humility of Jesus. 
Jesus is our ultimate example of humility. He is out of the obedience to his father. He humbled himself all the way to the point of death on the cross. The Bible says because of this, that God exalted him just like how it says he will exalt us. First Peter 5, 6-7. Humble yourselves and God will exalt you. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Now, if Jesus practiced humility himself, then why would we think we don't need to? Why would we consider this weakness? Even he was dependent on his father, and this was a good thing. In fact, the best thing. It was a God-glorifying thing in everything that he did. We couldn't even have a relationship with God if it wasn't for what Jesus did for us in the first place. You can find that in John fourteen six. He had to humble. We have to humble ourselves to trust that Jesus is king and to ask him to be our Lord and Savior. This is no different today whether you've been a believer for a week or for 50 years. We still need him in everything we do. We still need the Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us wisdom in all matters. We still need help to practice things that are honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, and everything praiseworthy. We are still not capable of doing anything on our own, and we will never be. As soon as we begin to live in a way where we are no longer dependent on God to do everything for us, we are forgetting our first love and proclaiming what Christ did for us was just not enough. As a follower of Christ, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, I promise you that you can give it to him. This is because God's word is true. What Jesus did was enough. And you have the Holy Spirit and can trust him to lead and guide you. Humble yourselves and pray to God, truly casting your anxieties to him and trust that he does indeed care for you. To God be the glory. So at this point, um, Pastor Cook, I'm going to ask Amen. you to come back. And if there are any um, uh, questions or comments, we'd like to take this time to uh, address those um, at this point. 
Yes, sir. No problem. Hallelujah. And to God be the glory. I just want to thank you. Uh, this is such a, a thorough uh, teaching, and I want to I just appreciate Praise that, Brother God. Pastor, that uh, you God. are just really leaving no stone unturned, and, and I believe that, you know, knowledge is the beginning of understanding. So if there's anyone in our gallery right now that has a question or a comment or uh, if you're in our gallery, if you press your one at this time, I will kindly address you by your area code and the last four digits of your phone number. And if you are in the uh, chat room and you uh, have a question for um, Minister Park, uh, you can relay that at this time. Also, Minister Park is on Facebook. Uh, you can also inbox me questions if you think of anything later. So um, right now I'm looking to see if we have any questions. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. You were mighty thorough there, Brother Pastor. You were mighty thorough. You were mighty, oh, mighty thorough. God. So, so uh, we will have um, the mighty man of God come back with his final comments. Um, and he will close yes. us in prayer, and we will close the program. Thank you. Okay, very good. All right, excellent. Um, so, again, um, we will be coming back with the, I guess, the third part of the series uh, in January. Um, yes. We want to take the rest of the month of December off, so we'll be coming back in January, and we'll pick up from the third point, uh, which is um, how we pray. So we want to talk about prayer, um, you know, during that, during that um, <clears throat> session. So now remember, uh, the, the thing that I pointed out tonight was the aspect that when we pray, so then you can start this today, when you pray, you ask for, you know, forgiveness for your sins and iniquities and transgressions, but not just for yourself and your children and your children's children, but also for your forefathers, because that's why we're in the predicament we're in, because of our forefathers, because of their sins. And so we also pray for your forefathers, although they may have been deceased and have been long gone, but pray for them. And 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 I, I started doing this, and there's a feeling that you, you, you can feel a cleansing when you, um, yeah. when you begin to do that. So um, yeah. I, 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 I encourage you to do that. So but we're going to be talking about prayer um, for the next session. But for tonight, just to recap, um, <clears throat> or I, I, because I'm a musician, uh, the correct word is recapitulation, but we always say recap, but um, I, it's so hard to break from that. So um, to recapitulate, um, the black people from, are from the kingdom of Jordan, I mean, sorry, the kingdom of Judah, Judah rather, mm-hmm. in Southwest Africa, um, and that's just not America, but that's South America, and that's also the the islands uh, wherever the slaves uh, ships landed and dropped off um, <clears throat> black people. Um, that's where they're from. They're from the tribe of Judah. So I want you to know that. I want you to know where you come from. I want you to know who you are, so that you can begin to move mm-hmm. forward and 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 to do what you need to do, because there's a lot that's um, dependent upon you because you are God's chosen people. You know, so you have a responsibility. So now you need to begin to act like um, a child of God, really, a child of God. So that's why I want to take my time with this whole thing so that we can understand and begin to make the changes that we need to. So, um, and then the second aspect, again, was that of um, humility. 
Um, it is not a, a form of weakness at all. It's just acknowledging, you know, who you are yeah, and yeah. Um, how insignificant you are in comparison to the creator, the master, the sustainer of all things. Okay. Um, so um, he is in control and not us. You know, so it's, it's not about arrogance. It's not about pride. It's about being humble. But it's, it's nothing about being weak. Uh, as exactly yeah, what I gave amen. you with Moses. <clears throat> so I want you to remember those points. And uh, I, I look forward. I'm, I'm excited. And I, I'm, yeah. uh, I look forward to coming back with the, uh, the aspect of prayer um, for the next session. <clears throat> so um, if there is no other uh, comments or anything, um, then we will close out with prayer. Amen. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we, as we have come to the conclusion of this program, my Father, Lord, my Father, we ask that they have touched someone's heart and opened someone's mind, my Father, that they will begin to see, my Father, who they are, that they will know yeah. who they are in relationship to you, my Father. Lord, my Father, that they will come unto you, my Father, that they will bow on bended knee, confess with their mouth, my Father, that you are God all by yourself and there is no other. Lord, my Father, and, and to love you with, with the your heart, mind, body, and soul, my Father, to follow your laws, commandments, decrees, my Father. Lord, my Father, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, my Father, we, we, we just pray that we begin a new walk in you, yes. my Father, that you will lead us, my Father, because you are our God, and we are your chosen children, my Father. Yes, Lord. Lord, my Father, we just we, we just ask that you, as we say, transform us, my Father. Transform yes. us, my Father. Bring us back to you, my Father, where we belong, my Father. These yes. things we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen, and glory uh, to God. Hallelujah. You have been listening to every man standing in his place with the mighty man of God, Minister Kevin Parks. I'm Bishop Shalene Cook. I'm blessed to be the overseer of the Spirit Alive Network. And it is our fervent prayer that all of you continue to acknowledge Christ in all that you do. Have a very beautiful and blessed Christmas. Hallelujah. And as always, from all of us here, be ye transformed. We look forward to seeing you in the new year. Good night. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Good night. Thank you, man of God. Hallelujah. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Praise God.